I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And another thing at Score North here that flows through our veins are scoops and the need for reckless speculation and the need to talk about what is going on um, inside Minnesota sports. It's Judd, it's Declan, it's Darren Doogie Wolfson of Channel 5 Eyewitness News, and of course, the Scoop Podcast, which I hope is part of your weekly routine as far as uh, getting up to date on Minnesota sports, and that includes bonus scoops as well, and our Reckless Speculation Thursday segment with Darren. Uh, Dukes, let's start here. Minnesota Vikings have become have, have begun, let's make this clear, voluntary workouts. These are not mandatory. But a lot of players have bonuses and clauses in their contracts that pay them a little bit of extra uh, a cash if they show up. It's almost become accepted that for at least part of this, guys do show up. Uh, day one on Monday of these workouts, which are workouts, meetings, not on-field work work yet. Daniil Hunter, absent. Zadarius Smith, absent. Dalvin Cook, absent. What can you tell us? Well, yeah, those three guys absent. And, yeah, I mean, we can't stress enough, Judd. These are voluntary. These are not mandatory. There is nothing that is in these guys' contracts that say they need to be here today. Later in the offseason, yes. Mandatory minicamp, yes. Right? But right now, no. Nonetheless, it's still noteworthy, right? Right now in Buffalo, a bit of a story that Stefan Diggs, the former Viking, Josh Allen met with the media this morning. He said, hey, Stefan is not here, right? So teammates notice, reporters pick up on that information. To me, Judd, it's still trending in the direction that Dalvin Cook is not going to be a Viking. I don't know how long I've been on the record suggesting that. I don't know when the move happens, but I'm pretty positive it happens. It's a matter of when, not if. Right? I mean, let's just go all the way back to the Alexander Madison contract. Yep. Two-year deal, 93% of that contract is guaranteed. When you make that sort of investment, when you still have a healthy opinion of your fifth-round pick a year ago, Ty Chandler, it just doesn't make sense in a pass-first offense to have a running back with that healthy of a number. I forget the exact number that Dalvin Cook is counting against the cap, but it is a large number. So whether it's a trade or an outright release, I continue to believe that Dalvin Cook is not going to be here week one. 
on Zadarius, we know that Zadarius wants his release. He feels like, hey, there's more money to be made elsewhere. I think the end result on that is something eventually happens where he's not here. I feel very confident saying Dalvin won't be here. I suggested a few weeks ago, Judd, and I've heard some of the same rumblings that the Vikings would like to find a way to figure out a way to have Zadarius here in 2023. So stay tuned. Possibly some more info there, but yeah, he's not there right now. Then on Daniel, something we've alluded to going back weeks, that he's not playing for whatever the number is, $4.5 million base salary, $5 million. It's a tiny number based on his production. We know he's not playing for that sort of money here in 2023, but I'll continue to say I've heard from a couple of people that know Daniil that he's uber excited to play for Brian Flores, that he really likes the potential of being in a Flores defense, that he is pumped up to be a Viking in 2023. I just wonder if the end game there, Judd, is they eventually find a way to give him a pay raise in 2023. Now, you can make the case, you know, late 20s, right? Do you want to be paying him healthy money, 29, 30, 31, with that injury history? Would it make more sense to trade him or do something else? Now, hey, look at the cap ramifications if you trade him. Pretty significant, right? Especially pre-June 1st. You may know the numbers better than I do, Judd, but my understanding is you're not doing yourself any cap favors by trading Daniel Hunter. I just, I'm telling you, I wonder if in the end they find a way to bump his salary that he is a Viking in 2023. But definitely a lot happening out in Egan. You know, even going back to last week with the draft visits, now the start of the offseason program. Later this week, the Vikings will set their draft board. So, so much happening with the draft now nine days out. Judd, I caught up yesterday. How about this for a name drop? RG3. He does some work for ESPN. So I caught up with RG3 yesterday. Today, I caught up with. My good buddy Jordan Reed of ESPN. So just picking their brains. Both those guys are pretty sure the Vikings are not drafting in nine days. That they will trade back from 23, accumulate maybe multiple twos. That the Vikings have this big draft party, right? So On we, Thursday night. So do we. So do we. The 27th. You guys <laughs> so early draft party. Yeah, Come I know. on, Vikings. I know. Crazy. Well, don't do I mean, us like they're that. They're going to do something. I just, the more I hear, not just those two, but. You know, if the Vikings can find a way, when you only have two picks in the top 100, you only have one pick in the top 75, you need to accumulate more picks. So it's just logical to think now, takes two to tango, who could move up? I've had some people suggest to me, Houston, Pittsburgh has that additional two from the Chase Claypool trade. So those would be two franchises to keep an eye on. But all it takes is one particular player to fall. You know, somebody says, okay. I need to get above who's ever picking at 24, 25, 26. Let's get above them. Let's get to 23. But the more I think about it, Judd, I absolutely can see the Vikings moving back from 23. Dudes, on the Zadarius Smith front, so I'm, I'm guessing to keep him happy, it's giving him a new contract? Like, what, what is that what he's looking for here? Is, is I, I know he basically sold his house and then said his goodbyes on Twitter, but he's still here. He gets the bonus that's paid. Is the resolution from his camp that he wants a new contract? Yeah, I mean, he wants a pay raise. I mean, Declan, he feels like if you release me, even this late into the process, there's enough teams with ample cap space that he can make more money in 2023 elsewhere than he can here. Now, to me, what sort of hammer ultimately does he have? What sort of leverage 
does he have? Now, I guess the leverage is, hey, best of luck, Minnesota, without me. You need me on the field if you're going to take another leap forward in 2023, right? So I guess that would be his hammer. But contractually speaking, he really has very little leverage. But I would say just let's stay tuned on that front. Like Dalvin, okay, moving on from Dalvin here. When, not if. I'm not quite to that point on Zadarius. wouldn't shock me if ultimately something does happen on Zadarius. He's elsewhere. But I'm not quite to that point like I am on Dalvin Cook. So, Dukes, I, I think now in, in trying to uh, connect the dots of what's transpiring here, too, I think Zadarius, his presence on the, the roster, and I think most importantly the decision to pay that a five mil in guarantees back in March. Now I think that comes down to protection insurance for Hunter. Like, I don't think both of them are back and, and you brought it up. And, and again, these are the new Vikings. Like we have to think differently. You might be right. There might be a very good chance that unlike Spielman, um, that crazy is going to say, Daniil, you've been great. You've been fantastic, but look at the trajectory of this roster right now. They're making a lot of tough decisions on veteran players. And some of them, i.e. Thielen, have sort of aged out. And now it's sort of too late. Yes, it would not do them any salary cap favors um, to trade Daniil right now. But that being said, it would do them. He's the one piece that they've got where if they did trade him, you're going to do pretty well compensation-wise. So I think Zadarius might be here as insurance that if they do pull the trigger on a hunter trade or a hunter move, now you go back to Z, you give him a bump, but there's no way on God's green earth that he's going to get the type of bump that Hunter would. I think it makes a little bit of sense for an insurance policy. It does. Also, some insurance policy on Davenport with his injury history. Yep. Good point. Right? And I guess I wouldn't be overly shocked if, heck, I don't think with that first pick, but let, let's say they accumulate two second-round picks. Could they go pass rusher with one of those two twos if they move back from 23 for two twos? Absolutely. I guess I wouldn't be overly shocked by that. Maybe more so corner receiver, maybe interior of the defensive line. But certainly there is ample interest in adding some sort of pass rusher here in nine to 11 days. But yes. But I, I will also say, Judd, like this regime did sign Zadarius when they signed him a year ago. There was a thought, hey, he will be here more than the 2022 season. And so it's a little different in that regard. I'm positive, by the way, Judd, if if they want to trade Daniil, like, I mean, I know Andre Patterson still thinks the world of him, right, out with the Giants. And I don't have intimate knowledge of the Giants roster top of my head if they're in, you know, the market for, for a pass rusher. You know, Denver with, you know, George out there, Kelly, some others, right, that, that the Broncos, there are fans of Daniil out that direction. Plus, there are fans elsewhere, right? Even without the Minnesota connections. Like if the Vikings want to trade Daniil, I'm just curious, Declan, do you know top of your head or maybe you have quick access to over the cap? I just, I recall that if you trade Daniil, especially pre-June 1st, if you were doing something next week with ties to the draft, draft compensation, that there's a pretty significant hit. Like it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not that they're not willing to eat some dead money, but that trading yeah. Daniil doesn't do you any cap favors. Uh, as of now, would be a dead money of $18.6 million per over the cap. Okay, so there you go. So thank you for looking that up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so I mean, are they really eating that much money to make a move? I mean, I guess if you get the right draft 
capital in return. I just, I'm telling you, I'm starting to think more and more that they find a way to keep Daniil. Mm-hmm. You can't completely strip this thing down that the Wilfs aren't willing to completely strip this thing down that Daniil is here in 2023. So as, as we speak, uh, Dukes, right now, just a little bit more than a week out of the draft, what do you think the odds in your mind right now are that the Vikings do find a way or are active in drafting a quarterback? Yeah, I think they draft a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, Judd, I do. I think it's going to be a middle-round guy, right? So it's day two or day three. I mean, I don't know if it's fourth round, third round, you know, however it shakes out. But, yeah, I'm – yeah, my money is on drafting a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the Stanford kid was in, but they've done a ton of homework on Jaron Hall from BYU. They spent a ton of time with him in Mobile – and at the combine, right? So whether a guy comes here for a visit, yes, to me it's noteworthy when a guy comes in for a visit, but it's not the end all, right? But certainly there is enough interest in the Stanford quarterback, Tanner McKee, right? When you bring him in for a visit, Thompson Robinson from UCLA is another guy, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Now he did not come in for a visit, but you know, like Hall, they've spent a good amount of time with Thompson Robinson along the way. Plus I'm sure there's a name or two I'm not specifically citing, but yes, one way or another, Judd, I fully expect them to draft some quarterback, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be Hendon Hooker or Anthony Richardson. Now, weird stuff can happen. I'm not saying there's a 0% chance on those two, but I think the more likely scenario is day two or day three. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, on to the Wolves. Um, and game one of the playoffs against Denver. Uh, I understand the Wolves were tired. I mean, they plan it out to blah, blah, blah. To me, that performance was inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. It's one thing to lose. I wouldn't have been shocked. In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised. It was how they lost. It was how they played. And I thought coming out at down 55-44 at the half, the way that they played in the third quarter was absolutely stomach turning. Your thoughts? Yeah, agree. It's really unfortunate if you're a Wolves fan that I'm positive Denver has another level. Like a letter grade for Denver's performance Not in great. game one? Great. B? Yeah. Maybe B plus if you wanted to stretch it. But Denver, I'm just telling you, the Nuggets have another level they can get to. Now, I fully expect tomorrow night for the Wolves to play significantly better. You can't play any worse. What's amazing, Judd, is I thought being a target center on Friday for the playing game against OKC, that that was perhaps their best effort of the year. (laughs) Then they follow up game one Sunday with perhaps their worst effort, certainly in terms of points scored, field goal percentage. Now, if you want to debate, hey, when you lose a 20-point lead at home to the lowly Washington Wizards, or when you lose twice to the Detroit Pistons, or you lose to Portland, or you lose to San Antonio, or Houston, or Charlotte, right? If you want to cite that those losses were worse 
fine. But I can make a case that Sunday was perhaps their worst performance of the year. Second quarter, they are in the bonus with 8.26 to go. They did not take advantage of that. You know how great it is to be in the bonus at the 8.26 mark of a quarter? Take advantage of that. Get to the free throw line. They did not do that whatsoever. Certainly shot selection was an issue. Clearly, Cat needs to play better. Clearly, Anthony Edwards, everybody needs to play better. But, like, heading into the series, Judd, if you had asked me on Sunday morning, I thought the series was going six games, maybe even seven, but I thought six. That the Wolves' talent is good enough. Yes, they will miss Jaden McDaniels. Yes, they are going to miss Nas Reed. But there's enough talent that they can find a way that there's not much separation, clearly some separation, when we're talking one seed, eight seed. But we're not talking like, you know, 62 win Denver, 41 win Wolves. There's not that sort of separation. I really don't think talent-wise there's this large separation, Denver and the Wolves. All right, so I thought heading into the series, if you had asked me on Sunday morning, it was going six games. I'm trying to avoid hyperbole. Heat of the moment, but after what I saw in game one, I'm thinking this series goes five. That Denver will get a game here. That Denver gets game two. Denver either wins game three or game four here Friday or Sunday. And the series wraps up next week in Denver in five games. Dukes, I, I know this is uh, not necessarily scoop related, but I did see that the Defensive Player of the Year awards or teams were, were voted on. And uh, no Jaden McDaniels. And I know this guy's been a punching bag, pun intended. Uh, for a lot of Wolves fans over the last week after breaking his hand. Uh, but how surprised were you that he didn't even crack one of these three teams in all-NBA defensive teams? Did they announce the official teams, Declan? I because I know did. they announced Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr. of Memphis, who, hey, you know, like Memphis turned into, they've always been a very good defensive team, but once he came back from his injury 10, 11, 12 games into the season, whatever it was, they took off. Now, you know, with these new rules, you know, starting next year, you know, Jaron only playing, what, 63 games? You got to get to the 65-game threshold to be eligible to win an award like that. I thought it was just Defensive Player of the Year. Can you check on that, Declan, about the teams? But, yeah, if you look at the Defensive Player of the Year award, it's you vote first place, second place, third place. So, like, Jimmy Butler of Miami, who only played 62 or 63 games, he received a third-place vote. Alex Caruso of Chicago only played 67 games. He received a third place vote. I just thought somebody, even if just a token vote, maybe a homer vote, right? Something that Jaden McDaniels would have received at least one third place vote. I'm not suggesting he would have received first or second place. To me, Brooke Lopez, Evan Mobley, Jaron, who won. Like, I get it. You vote for those guys. But to me, Jaden belongs on one of these all defensive teams. I still think there's a chance he ends up. But I didn't see that the teams were announced. So correct me if I'm wrong. I just saw... Defensive Player of the Year announced. Correct, yeah, it was Player of the Year voting results, and there were, yeah, about a dozen of those guys. Jimmy Butler being the last one who received one third-place vote. Obviously, Jaron Jackson winning the award. So the teams, yes, correct, my apologies, uh, have not been released, but still a little surprising to me that you don't see that guy even show up on a vote. Yeah, I mean, if I had to bet, I just would have figured that Jaden would have gotten a vote or two, Mm -hmm. right? But it may not be fully representative of how the all-defensive Voting goes, right, when you can only go three guys. And I'm telling you, like, it wasn't all that hard to say, okay, Jaron is either first, second, or third. Brooke Lopez is either first, second, or third. Evan Mobley is first, second, or third. And then, you know, maybe a homer or token vote for 
Clark Caruso. You know, those are the two guys I would cite that I thought Jaden would get a vote over. But uh, the voting, I guess I wouldn't be overly shocked if the voting is a little bit different with the all-defensive teams, if Jaden can find his way onto one of those teams. I will opine, Declan, that to me, undoubtedly, Jaden McDaniels belongs on one of those all-defensive teams. And I just, I can't stress enough. It's just, it's so unfortunate that he's out. Thank you for that, for that great work on Friday night, Judd, of, of figuring out behind the curtain what that wall Did ex- you see exactly that too? was. Like well, I mean, I was a... told it's brick. I, I didn't pull back the curtain. No, but I'm saying there, there's a portion of, of the curtain. What it's a curtain that starts off as a, as a protection. So if like fans throw stuff, it's going to hit that instead. That part of the curtain is just a curtain. Then it transitions to wall with a curtain just hanging in front. You could not, unless Jaden is beyond dumb, which I'm going to assume because he plays a pretty smart game basketball, he's not. You could not make a wrong assumption. The man punched a brick wall. I feel bad for Nas. Nas Reed deserves empathy. He legit got hurt. It sucks. Uh, I got to be honest. I feel no empathy at all for a kid that punched a wall because he was mad that he had two fouls in a game against the Pelicans that the Wolves eventually won. To me, yeah, I mean, he, he was mad. Just, now, that's for whatever stupid. it's worth, I don't know if he'll ever admit, his side will ever admit that he did indeed know what was behind that curtain, that well, he won't. knew he was punching a brick wall. But I'm led to believe, I'm telling you, for whatever it's worth, big F-W-I-W, for whatever it's worth, his side is saying, nah, he didn't know, right? Like, really, logically, if he knew there was a brick wall there, he was not punching then he needs a, new a brick wall. Well, then, then consult yeah. with me from now on, and I'll say, don't punch the damn brick wall. I know. It's just it's so unfortunate, though, because if you have Jaden, if you have Nas, yeah. I'm telling you, like, talent-wise, compare the Nuggets roster to the Wolves roster fully healthy, it's pretty darn close. Maybe I'm delusional. Fine. Uh, but that's what the Wolves right now. Say, like, dude, yeah. you're an idiot. Denver's the clear-cut one seed. You're nuts. The talent level is not that close. But I'm just telling you, with Jaden, with Nas, I feel like talent-wise, right? Now, hey, the Nuggets are very well coached. Mike Malone, great coach. Ryan Saunders, Ryan trust Saunders. he's got intimate knowledge. You know, I, I try to get Ryan for an interview. He's declining all, all interview requests. But trust me, Ryan has intimate knowledge of what the Wolves are trying to accomplish. Carl Anthony Towns even alluded to that postgame late on Sunday that the Nuggets knew first action, oftentimes, what the Wolves were trying to accomplish. David Adelman is also a really, yeah. really smart coach, right? So from a tactician standpoint, you know, the Nuggets have an advantage, right? But Mike Inori, really smart coach on the Wolf side. Chris Finch, innovative offensive mind, right? Some of the plays he designs coming out of timeouts, very, very good. There's a lot to like about just scheme-wise, Chris Finch, the coach. But I'm just telling you, Denver to me is, is right up there with, you know, Spolstra, Miami, some others. But just, I'm telling you, like, just so unfortunate. If you just had those two guys, well, like, I really would feel pretty damn good wall. about this series going a full seven games. But don't yeah, punch a wall. Punch now, a wall. now, the thing too is, uh, beyond beyond their skill and what they would bring on the floor too, from that point of view, Dukes, their loss hurts because they are both incredibly intense spark plug players. Like you know, we saw it again, game one. Things started to go wrong for Cat. He's done. He starts to slink around. You you can see it. You can see it. And Jaden and Nas, uh, because they, they work their asses off, bring that sort of intangible that this time of year helps a ton. So, yeah, 
it it hurts. But to back up your point, the Timberwolves have been on the record as saying this is not in their mind a real one eight. Like we are far more talented than an eight. Now that's their fault that they had to be had to come in through the playing game, no question about it. But I mean what you're saying is being parroted by the team. They're essentially saying this is far closer than it looks. And the problem is this. The last two games on Saturday and the first three on Sunday, I tweeted about this and you tweeted me back. We're marvelous. Like road teams are winning. It's fantastic to watch, right? And as you said, you are a passionate basketball fan, Mr. Zolgad. I love that. And we get to that game and it's garbage. Give me a break. It was. Yeah, I mean, absolutely was. I mean, you think about the intensity level, the game prior that the Clippers were playing at, even Phoenix. I mean, I thought Devin Booker was an all-world two-way player in that first game of Suns Clippers. How about Russell Westbrook? Couldn't make a shot, but impacted winning in so many other ways. Then Wolves Nuggets comes on, and you're like, whoa, okay, just watch Suns Clippers. You know, the way that that game was played, the intensity level. What the heck am I watching here? with Wolves Nuggets. Let's also be frank, Judd, another point on on missing Nas. You can't play Cat and Rudy a ton of minutes. Now, I presume one change we will see heading into game two is Rudy guarding Jokic much more, but -hmm. it's pretty clear those two can't be on the floor in this series a ton together. So Nas would have just been another body to help in that regard. But I'm just telling you, I just I have a hard time seeing the series going six. Can't see the Wolves winning one of the games here at Target Center Friday or Sunday. But it's just it's hard for me to see the Wolves stretching this to six or seven games. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I get to cover a lengthy series. I hope we see a significantly better. I'm positive we'll see a better. It can't get any worse. So I'm positive we'll see a better effort in game two. I just don't know if it's going to be significantly better. And I'm telling you, Denver absolutely has another level they can get to. Uh, Minnesota Twins scoops, dudes. I saw Pablo Lopez agreed to a new contract there uh, with the Twins. He's been impressive in his first three starts. What do you know about that? Yeah, so there was always a love affair right from the get-go. The talks picked up in spring training, but they really picked up the last two weeks. That's when it really, really got off the ground. I mean, seeds were planted prior, but my understanding is The talks really, really picked up two weeks ago. It's a straight four-year deal, so there's no sort of option attached. The Twins eat up three years of Pablo's free agency. To me, it's a win-win. I mean, Pablo gets the security, but like you think about Logan Webb with the Giants signing that five-year $90 million extension, eating up three years of his free agency. I just, I thought, you know, it would take a five-year deal for Pablo, but you know, there is benefit, too, to re-entering free agency when you're 31, right? So Pablo can look at it from that standpoint. Hey, you know, four years, $73.5 million, all sorts of great security. Thank you for that money, that life-changing money. But I'll have a chance to hit the jackpot again at the age of, of 31. But the love affair was was pretty instant, Declan. Like, you know, soon after they, they completed the trade in January, it was soon thereafter that, that seeds were planted on an extension to continue that theme though, like nothing hopping on Sonny gray, nothing happening on Tyler Malley. I haven't checked on Kenta Maeda, but those are the three pitchers that will be free agents after this year. Now the twins do have the qualifying offer hammer to some extent. I don't know if you're offering a qualifying offer 
to all three or even two. But to me, it's very logical to offer Sonny Gray a qualifying offer. That would be about a one-year, $20 million deal for 2024. Does he turn that down to go sign elsewhere? Does some other team sacrifice draft capital, all that? You know, I could see a scenario where he might just say, you know what, one year, $20 million for 2024. Okay. Like, I don't know if I'll make $20 million elsewhere on the open market for 2024, but that situation will play itself out. But for sake of right now, just nothing hopping. I mean, you know, Sonny Gray's agent was, was in Fort Myers, Tyler Malley's agent, you know, so, I mean, there's been like, you know, loose, loose, loose dialogue, but nothing that would equate to, you know, talks progressing or anything close to happening. So, you know, at this point, I can see all three of those guys, Maeda, Malley, and Gray, all getting to free agency. Final scoops. Well, you got Gophers basketball. They have a kid coming in. Credit to Andrew Slater, a national recruiting guy. The Gophers have a kid by the name of Charles Pride from the University of Bryant visiting later this week. He is a shooting guard, right? So the Gophers are still after a shooting guard, a combo guard some guys that can make some three-pointers, make free throws. The Gophers' pursuit of, of an off-guard continues. Latrell Wrightsell Jr., Cal State Fullerton, all Big West. He told me late last week he was set to visit here on Saturday. I did send him a note to follow up. He hasn't gotten back to me, so I guess I don't know officially if he did indeed make it to town on Saturday, but that's another guy that's doing all sorts of homework on the Gophers. Then there's a kid from Utah State, pretty good player from Utah State, Sean Bairstow who's looking to visit Minnesota soon as well. So, you know, you got Mike Mitchell Jr. from Pepperdine. If you can add either this University of Bryant kid or the Cal State Fullerton kid, if you can get Bearstow, then you've got Dawson Garcia, Pharrell Payne. That's not a bad starting five. Isaiah Enan off the bench, Braden Carrington off the bench, Joshua Ola Joseph off the bench. If you're wondering why I'm not mentioning Parker Fox, the kid from Matamidi, who's ripped up his knee twice, that's a slow go, right? And I love the kid. I really do. I hope he can contribute to the Gophers in some form. But I just know it's it's been a process. Like, you rip up your knee twice, yep. right? Now, Isaiah Enan, same deal, ripped up his knee twice. But my understanding is Enan progressing very, very well. Like, remains to be seen on Parker Fox. And they bring in this transfer late last week. I caught up with him, Jack Wilson. From Washington State, 6'11", 300 pounds, has a football background. In fact, a week and a half ago, he was at the San Francisco 49ers local day. Plays offensive line. Wow. So he went to the tryout with the 49ers, but he just he has decided that football is not the path to success. Going the basketball route has one more year of basketball eligibility, the free COVID year, because he played basketball that COVID year. So he told me, you need to pick the sport that you played that COVID year. So he only has a year of basketball eligibility remaining, not football. So he'll be a backup center here. He may play five minutes, commit four fouls, but he is a massive, massive human being. And he's all about mentoring Pharrell Payne. Like Pharrell was on his recruiting visit. They had dinner at Capitol Grill in downtown Minneapolis. So Jack Wilson, who's going to be 24 years old. And you think about Pharrell Payne, still like, 18 or 19 years old, big age separator there, right? But Jack Wilson told me, I had a Zoom chat with him on Monday. He told me he's all about, very passionate about mentoring Pharrell Payne, being a leader here, even though he's not going to play a whole lot of minutes. 
Awesome stuff. We'll talk to you Thursday. Okay. See you, boys. Bye-bye.